look, God has blessed us enough that we have this house we live in and we have a bedroom, you know, that we could put a foster child in. And that would be a way we could use our house to serve God. And, you know, I love kids. I've always been good with kids. And that that might not seem like a gift or a skill, but that comes from God, that desire to have children, that desire to love children. Um, and so I just really, I just kept, you know, we would talk about it at church and I would always nudge him like, do you hear? Foster care, foster care. I think that's what we should be doing. Hello and welcome back to the Seeing God podcast. We are coming back from a month-long break that we took in April. That was because we were expecting a baby, and he came mid-April. He is about three weeks old now. His name is Bastian Reagan Moore, and we are so delighted that he's here. But yeah, we took a little break so that I could adjust a little bit more. And in May, we're releasing an episode, obviously this episode, but we are just going to be releasing one episode instead of our regular two episodes. And that is, again, to let me adjust a little bit and hopefully keep up. But hopefully in June, we will be back to releasing our regular two episodes a month. And we are excited. Um, We have some really good content that we're looking forward to releasing. So keep an eye out for that. But for now, today's episode is with Cindy Syvertson. And she talks about using the gifts that God has given her in the ways that she sees to use them for Cindy and her husband that led them to foster care. So she talks about her journey into foster care and many other things. So we are excited about this episode. We will jump in in just a second. For those of you who have been following my mom's health and and our stories, I just also wanted to add that this is an episode that my mom did the interview for. She has been back a little bit to doing some of the interviews, which is so cool. And she also has been feeling well enough. And she and my dad were both able to get the COVID-19 vaccine. So they were actually able to help out when Bastion was born. We're grateful for those of you who have prayed for her and for us. And we are just so delighted with God's gifts to us. We have been seeing him work in so many ways in our own lives. But for today, we're really excited to hear about how he has been working in Cindy's life. This is a podcast that tells stories about what God is doing right now in the world. We focus on what is happening with, in, or through Christians. The Bible says in Psalm 107 verses 1 and 2, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. I'm your host, Emma Moore. Our interviewer is Jan Geppert. Let's get started. So today we have in our studio, Cindy Syvertson. And Cindy is going to tell us a little bit about herself in just a couple seconds. But Cindy has a lot of what I might call God stories in her life. Cindy, first of all, I just want to ask you, how did you come to know God? Well, I feel like the short answer would be that um, my parents were both believers. And so I was introduced to God um, as a child. And, you know, I was raised going to church and I did know who he was. The longer answer would involve me making it my own and deciding that I didn't just believe it because my parents had told me it was true or because I went to church as a child. But um, actually, 
interacting with God and getting to know God and experiencing God. And once I really experienced him, uh, there's really no going back then in, in my belief and my relationship with him. Once you've experienced him, despite whatever life throws at you, I could never doubt that he was real and he was there because I had had those experiences. So that was more, I had to do that in my adult life through some challenges. How long ago would would you say that you started to have that intimate experience of God in your life? You know, in high school, I I thought I had a strong relationship with God. And I really, I had a strong youth group I went to and I had good friends. And I would have thought, you know, that I had a strong relationship with God. And in college, a little bit, I kind of just did my own thing. And I wouldn't say that I especially had a relationship. I wouldn't say he was part of my daily life. And so it wasn't until probably when I was married and uh, maybe the first time I can really remember was when I was pregnant with my oldest and we were having some health scares that I realized like, you know, God is always there, but I don't need to just wait until I have a catastrophe or, you know, something I'm really scared about to then decide I want to talk to him. And so that was really the first time that I realized, uh, you know, kind of like I have to figure, figure out if this if I really believe this and I need to have a relationship with him and, and, you know, because he was the first place I went when I was scared and I was having that challenge. So that was kind of the start of the journey. And then, um, you know, even just 10 years ago, my dad passed away. I had to really, really question. And just those questions we ask when we go through something really hard of God, if you're real, why are you allowing this? Why does it hurt? Why doesn't it feel good if you're good? And so I kind of had to work through all those questions and find answers that made sense in my brain of who God is. And and I was able to do that, you know? And so I think that just all those times, I think we should question it and make sure we believe it ourselves because it's true, not because we've been told it. And so all those experiences, I think of really experiencing God helped me to do that and get my faith, not something I was told I should believe. How old are you now, Cindy? I'm about to be 37 in May. Okay, 37. You have four children, right? Oh, yes. And we'll talk about those in a few minutes. But um, your oldest is 11 years old, I believe. He's 11, yep. Down to four years old. Correct. Well, she'll be four in a week, yes. So around, you know, 11, 12 years ago is when you started on this journey of truly understanding and and having this walk with God that was real and intimate and answered some of the hard questions in life. Yes. What helped you in that? Like, how did you, did you just sit in your room and figure it out? Or like, how did this work? That's a good question. You know, the first thing that happened was, so we had this health scare and we had kind of this unknown in, um, in my pregnancy. And I think that when you are truly terrified. You know, if because I was raised a Christian, you know, my first thing is I start praying and I'm praying and I'm praying. Um, but uh, you also know that we can pray and God a hundred percent hears and answers our prayers, but that doesn't mean they always get answered how we want them to. And so God is not a genie. And so, um, you know, I really started to think about what if my worst case happened? What if God's answer was no, or God's answer wasn't what I wanted it to be? You know, I I think it was a lot of prayer at first and me just talking to God and wrestling with God and trying to come to a place where whatever the answer was, I could say, okay, God, I trust that that you know a plan that I cannot see fully. I don't have the clear picture. Um, But also I had to really, I mean, I 
had to search scripture to see if what I was thinking was true. Does it line up? Because I could have a lot of thoughts, but if they don't line up with scripture, um, then that then they're not coming from God. Um, and then, of course, there's so many people out there so much wiser than I am. And so really, you know, I found wonderful blogs are out there, you know, women who have gone through, have lost their children, um, and just reading the words of believers who have experienced what you think you're not equipped to handle was really helpful. There's so many people wiser than I am at my church. And so just asking people to pray for you. It's amazing that in the hardest times when others are praying for you, you can feel that peace. Again, it doesn't give you your answers. You don't always know what the outcome will be, but you can feel a peace about it because you know that God's presence is there. So that was a lot of it. And I mean, there's so much truth out there just in like worship songs, you know, like I could listen to a song and, and just, I have to put that truth in my brain to fight the worry and the anxiety that is not true. Oh, those were some of the ways. Yeah. You were sharing a moment with me about something that surprised you about God. Can you remember some of the things that have surprised you in this journey? I think something surprising about God that, um, see, I get emotional when I talk about God a lot. Um, something surprising was that, you know, cause you have to kind of come to this, you have to in your head, okay, so there's suffering and it's really hard and God doesn't want the suffering for us, but God allows the suffering for us. And so in my brain, I thought, well, God, you know, you say that you are love and you say that you love us and you say we can reach out and then you're allowing the suffering. And so I still remember reading the story in the Bible of when um, Jesus wept with his friends. And the thing was, God knew what was going to happen. He knew they were going to experience a death and that his friends were going to be sad. He knew that was going to happen. He also knew he was going to go and perform a miracle and, you know, and take away some of their suffering. But in that moment, he felt their pain and he wept with them. And that was really powerful for me because it was like, God cares, you know, and I might not get the answers I want, but he cares. And so that, that was, you know, not necessarily surprising, but when you really can understand that, uh, it changes your perspective. It doesn't mean it always feels good, but he cares that it doesn't feel good. And he wants you to bring that to him. Mm. That is really powerful, Cindy. You're talking about the story of Lazarus. I am. And when uh, he it was a, he was a friend of Jesus, yes. and uh, he Jesus was friends with Lazarus and his sisters Martha and Mary, and and you know he he died, and you know they they called him, and here's this Jesus who he's healed people, you know he's got all this power, and the girls, the sisters, send for him, and Jesus comes, and you're right. He knew that he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead, and yet he felt their pain. Absolutely. He could have said, I'm going to make it all better. It's okay. You know, you don't have to cry right now, but he didn't. He felt he was with them in that moment of pain, which I think is really powerful when we're in our moments of pain. Yeah. Even though we understand in God's schema of things that ultimately He's going to make everything right. He's made those promises. There's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. All the wrongs are going to be made right. You know, we're going to be healthy. You know, we're not going to have any of these things that cause us pain. That's coming, but it's not here now. And yet in our sorrow now, he's with us. That's really, really powerful. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, so you, you've been married for how long? It will be 15 years this year. 15 years. How did you meet your husband? We met at Messiah College. 
And was your husband at the same place in his own spiritual journey as you were? My husband was probably at a lower point in his spiritual journey when we met. Yeah, I would say he was not walking with Christ either. He would have a similar story where he was raised with it. He understood it. I wouldn't say it was a part of his day-to-day life either. And so when you have two people that get together that both understand the truth, but neither one are really uh, incorporating it in your day-to-day, you know, you don't always make the best decisions. Yeah, I think over the years, we both have come to to make it our own and, and to change and to, you know, we both now have the relationships we didn't have then. But for both of us, it was a journey. Yeah, it looked slightly different, you know, because sometimes God lets us make mistakes and we have consequences for those. But yeah, I would say both of us had to walk a journey of, of figuring out what it meant for it to be our faith. So like one of you would make strides and then the other one and you're kind of like, Yeah, or both of us would just make bad decisions, and then then we both realize this isn't going to work. Yeah, like that. Um, Are those bad decisions anything you might want to share? You know, just, it was this weird feeling at Messiah College, because when I grew up, I went to a public high school, and so my faith was really important. It was my faith. I was a Christian. I didn't make decisions that some of my friends were making who were not Christians because I was a Christian and that was important. And then I went to Messiah and everybody was a Christian. And it it did this funny thing to me where I thought, well, it doesn't matter what I do because everybody's a Christian. And so it just, it didn't have the same feel as like, oh, this is my, I'm going to make these because I want people to know I'm a Christian and I want to look different. It was funny. I thought, well, everyone's here is a Christian. And so it doesn't really matter. And so I just, you know, just lived probably what looked just like a worldly secular life. You know, I would have still said I was a Christian, but I didn't make decisions that were really much different than, you know, anybody would have made because I kind of just, I felt like, well, it's fine. Everybody here is a Christian. So I can just do whatever I want to do. And all my other friends are doing it. So it must be fine. We're all Christians. So it was more like that. Mm. Well, you came to a place in your life where you considered making a choice that had to do with your children. Can you tell me a little bit about where you are with raising your family and what your family looks like? Sure. Um, So I remember telling my husband when we were dating that I had, I needed a minimum of, I forget if I said three or four children, but I let him know early on I wanted a lot of kids. You know, I I forget, I think my minimum might have been three, but I had to have at least three kids. I wasn't interested in a tiny family. And I had always been interested in adoption or uh, foster care. I didn't really know, um, you know, what avenue to pursue, but there was always a part of me that was interested, but we decided to have biological children first. And so we had two biological children when we really started talking about would fostering be for us? Would adoption be for us? You know, what would that look like? And we ended up getting pregnant again. So we had a third biological child, which put that on hold a little bit. And then, you know, three kids and they're all young. It is a lot. And so, you know, I'm coming to my husband saying, I think we should do foster care. And he's kind of like, well, we have a lot of kids and we have, you know, they're all young and it's a lot. And I just really felt like foster care was a way I could serve God. And I am really good at looking at what I don't have, the gifts I don't have. You know, I'm really good at saying, I don't have the gift of hospitality, or I don't have, you know, this skill set. And so I don't always look at what I do have. But in this instance, I really, I kept saying to him, look, God has 
blessed us enough that we have this house we live in and we have a bedroom, you know, that we could put a foster child in. And that would be a way we could use our house to serve God. And, you know, I love kids. I've always been good with kids. And that, that might not seem like a gift or a skill, but that comes from God, that desire to have children, that desire to love children. Um, and so I just really, I just kept, you know, we would talk about it at church and I would always nudge him like, do you hear foster care? foster care. I think that's what we should be doing. And so, um, you know, there was a point where I had to be patient and say, okay, I need him to decide in his timing that our family should pursue this. But, um, he did ultimately agree with me. You know, he said, you're right. If, if God is, if this is a way we can serve God and my only reason for not doing it is maybe fear or selfishness, like, oh, it might be hard. Those are not good reasons. (laughs) Um, and so you know that's awesome oh it might be hard no don't worry about that you know (laughs) and and I would always tell him I would say it's gonna be hard it's gonna be really hard but at the end of the day we're adults and I think we can handle hard but these little kids they can't and they don't deserve that and so for however long they need a home they deserve to have a home and we can handle the hard you know we God can go with us in that we can handle it and so um about four years ago, maybe about four and a half years ago, um, we started that process of becoming foster parents. So before you tell, you mentioned your church. So um, is your church involved in fostering? So they are. And um, that's an area that uh, I have seen grow a lot in our church. I think that um, the church that we go to, I feel like they are very invested in our community and, you know, they want to help people. We want to love people and we want to help people. And so um, for a lot of years, I coordinated our local mothers of preschoolers group, our MOPS group at our church. And I met a ton of women through there who were foster moms. And so it was really good for me to be able to talk to them and kind of hear the hard and the good and see the struggles. And so just having that, um, those connections, not everybody knows a lot of foster parents, you know, there are some areas where there's not a lot. And so I was able to really talk to them. And then, um, out of that, this ministry grew at our church where they really were like, not every family is called to be the foster parents, but every family can support foster care and support foster parents. And so they created this wonderful support ministry where they said, you know, there are families in the church who want to help and who don't feel like at this point they could be the foster parents, but they can help you because it's, it is, it's hard. And when you're in the midst of it, there's a million appointments and, you know, your schedule is crazy and there's visits and you don't always have time to run to the store or cut your grass or whatever it is. And so they come alongside you and really help you in that. They want to relieve some of the burden so that you can serve God how he's calling you. Wow. What a picture of God's love. So what are some of the ways that people help you? So we use mainly our, we have like a life group through church where we, you know, we call it a life group, but we kind of say we do life together. And so these are families that we meet with a lot that know us. So we had, they had kind of committed to being our support group um, along with, we have family that lives in the area. So of course they were willing to help us. So, I mean, it's as simple as when we got um, our first placement, our basement was flooding. So we had a plumber who actually goes to our church in our basement and, uh, you know, we get a call. Okay. You can go to the hospital. And so I had to call my in-laws who come 
right over to watch our other children. You know, we need childcare and I have a plumber in our basement and it's flooding. And you come home from the hospital with this baby and she doesn't have anything. I mean, she just, and we didn't know. The thing with foster care is you don't know when you get a call, you don't know the gender, you don't know the age, you don't know the size, you don't know the needs. And so we didn't have anything. And so my mother-in-law ran to the store and got us formula and diapers. And the next day, I mean, we had friends dropping off meals. We had friends bringing us like all baby supplies. You know, we didn't have any baby supplies because we didn't know we were going to get a newborn (laughs) till we got a newborn. Um, And so just, I mean, they just bring you what you need. And then, you know, that placement, we ended up having a a long time. And so, um, when we would have visits, you know, they could help with our other kids or, um, getting them rides, just all that stuff. It kind of alleviates your stress of managing it all. We had a second placement come that again, was a newborn baby that we didn't know was coming. And when she came, You'll hear foster parents say that Satan likes to mess with you when you get placements. So when she came, I had an infection in my finger and I had to go to the ER the night she came for this infection. And the doctor who also goes to our church said, which is just, again, a random God thing, said, you can't change diapers with this. And I'm like, well, I have a toddler and a newborn who both are in diapers. Uh, And so, you know, those next days, my friends came over and and just were there so they could change the diapers because I couldn't change the diapers for, you know, a few days and just stuff like that. They just show up with whatever need you have. What a blessing. I mean, that is such a picture of the body of Christ and that your church has this understanding of what God has called them to do is to love, love God, but also love our neighbor. Right. And, um, and so this is one of the ways that they put that into practice. And then they really put it into practice, too, by coming around you and supporting you in this. Right. So you had two placements. And then what happened? Um, so our first placement, we did end up adopting. So, you know, foster care is a really hard journey because you're pulled in two parts. Reunification, which is when they would return with family. Uh, is a beautiful thing. And I think that God uses that a lot. And so that is always the goal of foster care. And so it can be hard because I think sometimes people want to make adoptive families out to be some sort of savior or some sort of, wow, you did a fabulous thing. And that the reality is it is hard and it's broken and it's filled with a lot of grief. And we didn't do this fabulous thing. You know, we, uh, there, she did end up needing a permanent home. And so of course she was part of our family and we were happy to adopt her and make sure she had a permanent family. But that's really hard because there's a whole nother family who is missing, you know, someone that they love too. And so it's a really complex journey. So I only say that because I think sometimes people really want to make it out to be like, oh, you guys are just amazing. And she's so lucky to have you. And that isn't really the reality of what foster care and adoption looks like. I feel very thankful that we don't make those decisions. You know, it goes through obviously court and People, you know, judges look at the case and caseworkers look at the case and they make those decisions. And I'm thankful because it's really hard, no matter what way it goes. Had our daughter left, we would have been broken. You know, she'd lived with us for years. We had her since a baby and she only ever knew us. So that would have been horrific pain. At the same time, 
you know, she is going to grow up missing part of her biological family. And thankfully, we do have contact. That is a blessing in foster care. You can build relationships. And so we do have contact with some of her birth family. But that, that for her, will always be a loss, too. And um, so... Sorry, that is not what you asked me, but I just went on my soapbox there. (laughs) (laughs) No, but you know what? That was so refreshing to hear because you've just explained the reality and you used the word broken, that it's not like you're this glorious savior family swooping in and everything is all wonderful and roses. It's a hard journey. But you have also before that talked about how you clearly understand that God is walking with you in the hard parts. Absolutely. So in this journey, you have just experienced a year of COVID. How was that for you? you you've got an 11-year-old, a 10-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a just about 4-year-old. And so you are a very busy woman. You work inside the home. And so what was that like? Yeah, COVID was hard. It was really hard. I had kids fighting me about doing schoolwork. That... I mean, it was funny because you—if most people will remember when COVID came out, there was all these, you know, I, I would see it on Facebook all the time. All these moms have these schedules, you know, oh, this is going to be great. And we're going to have these schedules. And from this time to this time is going to be art. And then we're going to have reading and it's going to be great. I know myself well enough to know I would never, ever for one second stick to a schedule like that. So I didn't even pretend our life was going to look like that. I already knew we were going to be in trouble. <laughs> But I did, you know, you kind of think, okay, well, it's two weeks. So for two weeks, we can do this. It's going to be great. We're going to have family time. We're going to take walks. All sports were canceled, which our life is a lot of running around. And uh, okay, this will be great. But then the two weeks passed and it was really hard. School was hard for the kids. There was a lot of yelling. I hate to say that, but there was a lot of yelling because it was like, they didn't want to do work. And I'm like, in the amount of time you whined, you could be done your work 20 (laughs) minutes ago. And so it was hard. It was, and then you're so isolated. And so the family time was great, but I think I just didn't realize how hard it was on me. We were so isolated. The kids are struggling. You know, I saw struggles in them that I don't think they could identify, but they started to not care as much about stuff they used to love. And I thought, we're all just feeling the result of not being able to be around people. And we all feel the tension that this isn't normal, but none of us really knew what to do with that. And so I really, I mean, I, not of course intentionally, but I started just feeling like, what even is the point of waking up? Like why I'm just getting up to do nothing. There's no, we can't go anywhere. We can't do anything what is the point? And I just felt, I mean, I probably was experiencing depression. I didn't necessarily feel sad, but depression doesn't always look like that. I just felt like, well, this is, I'm really sick of this. And what's the point? And it's the same day over and over and over and over. It's not an easy day. And, you know, the other thing, life is full of like, where two things are true at the same time. And so I love my children. I am so thankful that I am a mom and I am thankful I'm a stay-at-home mom. Also, I need a break from my children. And sometimes I just can't do it anymore. I just need a minute. And so, you know, it was hard. You're like, I never get a second alone. Not one second. Are there not people here? Because we can't go anywhere. 
And then you have people who are all alone and they're like, I wish I lived in a house with a family. So you try to balance, you can recognize your blessings and they can still be hard, I think. And that was where I found myself. <laughs> That's a really good way to put it. So where was God in that? How did, how did he care for you? You know, God is funny. He, he is always there. And even when we don't necessarily seek him out or we don't know what we should be praying for, he, he has a way of showing up. And he was definitely there just uh, with my, again, my life group, you know, we would still do Zoom calls and and they could recognize I wasn't acting normal. And it's easy to recognize it. It's not always easy to get out of your funk, you know, and, and they would be like, we should talk about all the things we're thankful for. And in my head, I'd be like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to be doing this, you know, but I think sometimes just forcing yourself to keep going. And God did show me a lot of things in that time that I'm thankful for. We have a lot of good memories from that time. We were able to do a lot of things we couldn't have done. And I think slowly, just as we were able to open up a little bit more, you know, some of that went away naturally, but I was really able to see God just, I can look back and see that every day he showed up and provided. And even the hard days, he showed up and I was able to get through them. And I don't think that my kids were really too aware. You know, I think that I was able to do what I needed to do for, with my family. And then slowly life opened and some of it naturally got better because I could interact with people. But yeah, I mean, my friends would check in on me because I think they could tell. And, um, school ended thankfully and then it was the summer and we didn't have to fight about schoolwork and so some of it like I said I think situations will change but some of it really was just God being with me in the hard part and me just speaking truth that I know is truth even if I don't feel it so I knew that God was there I knew we would get through it I knew it was okay I knew I was blessed and thankful even if I didn't feel it in that moment and so sometimes just repeating that helps me. You had mentioned uh, at one point when we've talked before that you came to understand that he gives you enough for today, that you don't have to think about tomorrow or the next day, you know, because all the days that sameness was wearing on you that you came to understand, no, 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 no. He promises what I need for today. Absolutely. Yes, he did that for sure during COVID. He also did that for sure in our foster care journey. Any situation you're in when the future is unknown is a really hard place to sit. And it could be a medical scare. It could be a marital issue. It could be something with your children. But when the future is unknown, I think we like to try to come up with all the situations of what it could be. And my brain would go places that I'm not equipped for yet. You know, so for example, in foster care, I would sit in this sweet baby's room holding her crying, picturing her leaving. But the reality was she hadn't left yet. And we didn't even know if she was going to leave, you know, but before every court date, it was really hard because it was unknown. The future was unknown. And so I think I had to really learn to trust an unknown future to a known God. It's not unknown to him. And he has given me exactly what I need to survive today. And if I get to tomorrow and my unknown becomes a reality, he'll be there then. But we don't all, I don't think, walk around with an innate ability to handle every terrible thing that could happen. <laughs> you know, so as a mom, I think about what if something happened to one of my kids? I wouldn't survive it. Well, that's because we don't walk around, I don't think, being able 
to just handle every terrible tragedy that could possibly ever happen. I don't possess that right now. But if that terrible tragedy happened, I do 100% believe God would show up in that moment and he would provide what I need. So no, I don't think I possess it, but I think he does. And so I think by going too far in the future, I'm worrying about something that I don't have the skill set to handle yet, which makes it scarier, of course. Cindy, that is so powerful that you can handle the unknowns because you have a God that's known. You said it a little bit better than that, I think, but but that there's no use in worrying about the unknowns because God hasn't equipped you for it. You know, it hasn't happened. But you do know from your previous experience that if that's that might happen, that he's going to give you what you need in that time because you know God. Absolutely. He's a known entity. I kind of, I don't know that cliche. Uh, how does it go? God will never give you more than you can handle. I always say I hate that cliche because it's not true. God will often give you more than you can handle. He won't give you more than he can handle. And I think that's the point, right? Like, of course I can't handle this. No, I'm not equipped. I don't know what to do, but he can handle it. And so I think that, I mean, every time I see that, I'm like, that's not true. He will. He will give you more than you are equipped for. So if you feel that way, it's okay because he can handle it. We cannot. That's how I feel about those situations. That is precious. So do you ever forget this? Oh, of course. I forget it daily. Of course. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, when we, especially when we were doing foster care, I mean, I had to, it wasn't even an hourly battle. It was every minute I had to be turning it back over to God every minute. Because again, you're talking about this child that you love so much and and I just am like, I don't even know what is best, quite honestly. Because like I said, reunification is not necessarily, you know, reunification can be a beautiful thing. So it's not as though you want to pray against that. But also, this is my baby. And so, oh, it was so hard because I'm going, God, I'm praying for peace. Why don't I feel peace? I'm praying for peace. Why don't I have peace about her leaving? You know, I'm, I'm praying for peace about the future. Why don't I have peace? Or why do I still feel anxious? And that's when I kind of had to realize I'm worried because I'm worrying about a future I'm not in. And so, oh, it was, I mean, sometimes it was every minute, every half an hour, every hour. I'm just praying, okay, God, I'm here right now. This is what I have right at this minute. Just help me stay in today. Um, You know, I'm listening to worship songs about just that God, you know, whatever it is, thy will be done, you know, okay, God, this is what I want for me. Or um, there's a song, you know, I'll raise a hallelujah but it's raising a hallelujah even when it's hard. Okay, God, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to praise you. I'm going to praise you regardless of what happens because you deserve it and you're good and you've shown up. And so regardless, I'm going to praise you. Um, you know, So sometimes it's just singing those songs on repeat so that the fear can't get in my brain. I had a lot of, you know, I have other, one time I called up a foster mom and she had had a similar journey to mine. And we have we were like acquaintances. I knew her through church. I wouldn't say we're close friends. And I said, can we meet? Because I'm going to lose my brain. I cannot figure out how to deal with this anxiety of the future. Can we just meet and talk? And she was. it was so helpful just to talk to someone else who has been through it, hear her story, and hear how God worked in her story. And, you know, and, and I we haven't met again, just the two of us since. But in that moment, that's what I needed just... You know, God uses people. He uses people and they're all around us. 
So, I mean, there were many different things I had to do. I journal a lot. Um, if I don't write out my prayers, my brain just wanders. I'm just, you know, thinking about the million things I need to do. So I journal a lot. I, I write out my prayers. I write out verses um, because when I write them again, I stay focused. Um, so just, uh, just, I had to kind of retrain my brain, I think, to just every time that anxiety set in, I found a way, you know, okay, let me go pray. Let me go journal. Let me go recite my scripture I have memorized, whatever it is to get myself out of that anxiety in that moment because I'm in today. Right. It sounds like you're talking about just having the discipline and the habit to grab your brain when it wants to go to the future, to the unknowns, to grab them, bring it back to the God that you know and set your heart on him. Absolutely. Either and and scripture, what you know in scripture is true, that this is who God is, and then to talk to him about it and give him your fears. And you have experienced the peace for what is today. I like that, you know, you go, I'm praying for peace for the future. Why don't I have peace for the future? You know, and you're you're clearly saying that God doesn't do that. He gives us what we need today. Right. And even though he knows the future and all that, but he cares about what's happening today. And he gives us what we need for right today and that we need to work to bring our brains back to today Absolutely, and who God is. Cindy, this has been really powerful. You know, there are so many people, all of us have been affected by COVID. Mm-hmm. Many of us have many, many demands on us that are pulling in a million directions. Everybody faces the unknown and we all face brokenness in this world. And so you have just given such a clear testimony of how God has met you in that brokenness and how you've extended yourself to be willing to use what you had in your hands, your home, your life, your love of kids to love him and love other people. And that is an incredibly beautiful picture of God's work in your life. So Cindy, thank you for your time today. It's been really encouraging to talk to you. Psalm 107 verse 43 says about stories like this, those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history, the faithful love of the Lord. If you have a story you'd like to share, or you know of someone who does, please go to our website at www.seeinggodpodcast.wordpress.com and click on submit a story. God is doing things all over in all of his people. And we want to know about as many stories as possible. So please do go to the website and submit a story. Also, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode or the podcast in general. You can tweet us at GodSeeing or comment on our Instagram or Facebook pages at Seeing God Podcast. You can also email us at seeinggodpodcast at gmail.com. I'm Emma Moore. Our interviewer is Jan Gebert, and our show music is Siberia by Dmitry Lukyanov. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seeing God. Seeing God.